Welcome to How to Love Forever. In this episode, we discuss the recent media meltdown following shocking sexual revelations by some beloved Hollywood sweethearts. Da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> we do a deep dive into the diverse world of alternative relationships. We do an overview of the most common alternative relationship structures, what defines them, and what their benefits might be. We disclose the eye-opening results of multiple scientific studies which reveal the impacts these types of relationships can have on our lives. And we play with Polycules. 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 All coming up right, right now. Hi, I'm Marco. And I'm Heather. We invite you on a journey of discovery as we explore techniques, tools, and inspiration to better our love lives and our sex lives. Join us as we travel the world, seeking out the stories that can help improve how we do romance and relationships. Come with us as we discover how, how to, to love, love forever. forever. Hi, and welcome to today's episode of How to Love Forever, the podcast that explores love, relationships, and sexuality. My name is Heather. And I'm Marco. In today's episode, we are discussing alternative relationship structures. <laughs> you know, the way I see it, the nature of love in relationships is always changing. It used to be, for example, that marrying for love was considered ludicrous. That changed because of the rise of the middle class in Renaissance Europe a few hundred years ago. Right? But now it's considered ludicrous to not marry for love. <laughs> Today in our modern world, many other assumptions about how to have a proper relationship are being called to question. Today's episode explores that a little. Let's get into it, shall we? Hey, hon. Hi. Hi. How you doing? Good, doing good. Yeah. How's your coffee? Us, not here anymore. Well, <laughs> I don't know how Stephen Colbert does it with his coffee on the desk. That wouldn't work for me. A, I think it's whiskey, and B, <laughs> I'm sure he pours a whole new cup between every commercial break. So we should probably have commercial breaks. I think is what the deal is. And whiskey. And whiskey. Yeah. Okay. Commercial breaks and whiskey. They were made for each other. Or tequila. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, anyway. So anyhow, um, I actually wanted to talk about this new word of the day that I discovered. Okay. Yeah. Do you uh, tell? Yeah, it's called compersion. I don't know if you've heard about it. It rings some bells, but uh, describe it for me if you would. <laughs> compersion is a fun word. It's a noun, and it's kind of the opposite of jealousy. It is the state of being happy for another person's happiness. Ooh. Yeah, I know, right? It's nice. I mean, you think of it as sort of like a compassionate state instead of a jealous state. But the use that it gets is often for like describing being happy at seeing one's own romantic partner experiencing happiness with other partners. Hmm. So, you know, they're getting kissy kissy on each other. And instead of you getting jealous, you're happy that your partner that you love is experiencing joy. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. It's like when I see you getting flirted with by a beautiful woman. It makes me so pleased because A, it reinforces that I have a fucking catch. And B, it makes you feel good. Yes, it makes me feel good. And you end up benefiting from that because oh, I get supercharged with yummy energy. And then I put it all over you. Nah, I love it. Yeah. Happy, <laughs> happy, happy all the way around. So have you been reading any interesting things lately? I did come across this article in medium.com referencing an interview that Will Smith did with GQ magazine. Hmm. where 
it was openly admitted that he and his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, are in an ethically non-monogamous relationship. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. It's nice for them to be that open about it. And I'm sure you can imagine, like, what the public response has been, though. Oh, I'm sure. Absolute controversy in Squaresville, right? Yeah, apparently. I don't really understand why, but I think it's great that they are being so honest and working to find what works for their relationship. Hmm, yeah. Well, I can only imagine what a high-profile couple like them will end up doing for the cause of ethical relationship building, having come out like that. Yeah, I can only imagine. Hopefully it's it's going to bode well for a lot of people and their access. Yeah. For me, modern society is kind of weird about relationships because society gives you a thousand career options, for example. You can be a doctor, you can be an astronaut, you can be a lawyer, you can be a street sweeper, you can be a teacher, you can be a painter, you know, like all of these things. They give you a hundred ways to serve your country. Mm-hmm. You can be a statesperson, you can be a soldier, you can be, you know, all of these things. And 300 religions, 500 (laughs) brands of bottled frickin' water, okay? You get 2,000 different kinds of pet you're allowed to have, but only one kind of relationship. Yeah, I know. It is. It's pretty limiting. So I'm here to call bullshit on that today. (laughs) What I was born for. (laughs) Well, you are a bullshit spotter. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, and I agree with you because, yeah, there are some people who are built for monogamy. But I would say most people probably are not. Not Hmm. everyone who is trained for monogamy is going to be good at monogamy. Hmm. For example, I was trained in ballet, but I didn't have like the super long build and the the fine ballerina dancer bones to be in a professional ballet corps. It's like somebody who's trained in basketball, but they don't necessarily have the right height or the right dexterity for it. Right. But they could instead maybe be a coach. Or try golf. Right, or try golf. (laughs) Yeah, that's the same with relationships. Just because you're trained in a certain way, you can use those skill sets, but it doesn't have to be in like that one-size-fits-all structure. So rather than be a failed ballerina or a failed basketball player because you have no other options, no, of course not. You can always go do something else. You can be a doctor. You can be an astronaut. Mm -hmm. I get it. You have endless options. The same thing with relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and even if the other options aren't sanctioned by standard society, it's time that they become more accepted. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. So what do we mean when we say alternative relationship structures? In a nutshell, alternative relationships are relationship setups considered to be outside the social standard model of monogamy. Previous research has found that among the general heterosexual population, about 4 to 5% are engaged in some form of consensual non-monogamy. That's a fair percentage. Uh, we came across this webpage all about the ARS's, mm. Alternative Relationship Structures, on a site called shrimpteeth.org, and we'll list that in the show notes. They lined out a pretty diverse, not definitive, summary of consensual structures, and we're going to break that down with you now, followed by some pretty other fascinating info we've come upon. Yeah, great. So this is a basic rundown of some <laughs> alternative relationship structures. They differ from each other in many ways, including the number of persons in the relationship, their levels of emotional commitment, the ranges of sexual exclusivity, etc. So this is a very general list, and not exhaustive in the least. Each one has its positive points, and each one comes with its own unique challenges. And furthermore, every relationship is made up of individuals, and they will each practice their agreements in a unique way. 
So let's start with the basic term, open relationship. What does that mean? Hmm. It's basically an umbrella term, a catch-all shorthand for quick conversation, because the nuances get a lot deeper from there. Mm -hmm. Typically means that a primary couple enjoys an agreement or understanding where they're open to sexual contact with others in one way or another, making it a consensually non-monogamous relationship. In one way or another, I guess that's the nuance that you're talking about. Exactly. Again, there are so many structures, and I think it really depends for each pairing. So most commonly, it's a married or a long-term partnership where it allows for one or more additional people to partake in intimacy of some type, often sexually, but not necessarily. And those roles are typically secondary in the relationship. So the couple that practices consensual non-monogamy, they might engage in intimate activity with others as a couple only or as individuals separately. It could just be one person who enjoys this freedom, or it could be both members. The defining factor is the agreement that has been made between the the members of the primary relationship and the agreements with the others involved. Mm -hmm. And a hallmark of this type of relationship is that the primary couple always remains the first priority. Ah. Got to keep your number one. Uh, so there's usually a landscape of very specific expectations and rules, like a veto power, for example. Mm. And a lot of time, a lot of time is spent communicating between the people involved to make sure everyone's emotional needs, not only sexual, are being accounted for at any given time and day. And often, open relationships evolve their agreements and expectations over time, in a fluid way, as people evolve and relationships mature. Under the banner of open relationships can be found all kinds of relationships, like swinging or monogamish or anarchistic relationships or polyamorous or polyphedelic relationships, just to name a few. This is all a lot of stuff. It's an entire spectrum of relationships that mm -hmm. we are going to sort of try to map out now in order to try to make sense of it. So let's put the standard relationship model, the one that everybody knows, right in the stack right now, because it's part of the spectrum too. Mm -hmm. This is called deliberate monogamy, and it's the most well understood and most commonly represented of all the relationship standards. You know, all of those romantic movies? Yeah, they're pushing for deliberate monogamy. Okay, that's the model that we're talking about, the Harry Met Sally thing. So if relationships were facial tissue brands, this one would be Kleenex, okay? <laughs> With the lotion or just like the standard? <laughs> nope, just standard Kleenex, man. Aw. <laughs> no frills. So these come with three elements, right? It's monoamorous, loving only one partner. Monosexual, sexually active with only one partner. Yes, they are two different things. And a long-term commitment. Marriage vows, forever talk, buying a house together, etc. Most long-term committed relationships are deliberate monogamies. Monogamy tends to describe a long-term commitment as we know it. So that is the most common represented, but the most common experienced is actually serial monogamy. Which is slightly different in the sense of the amount of time commitment. Serial monogamy is uh, feeling a sense of exclusive commitment to one person at a time. Okay. However, in the long run, you'll end up having more than one partner as you evolve and as your exclusive relationships switch members. You know, you end up getting a different boyfriend or a different girlfriend, different mm. person friend. Right, You know, right, that right. kind of thing. Yeah. So just like the deliberate monogamy relationships, they are monoamorous and they are monosexual. So you're committed in that way. But the time 
time commitment is more short to midterm, you know, like the dating scene, that kind of commitment. Right. So despite cultural stigma around this term, it is the most widely practiced type of relationship, especially in one's younger years, as one is shopping around to see what kind of mate they like. Right. Seeing what works for them, seeing who they deserve in a partner and all that. Exactly. Okay. And in fact, most deliberately monogamous people actually started off as serially monogamous and they ended up finding somebody they could nest with into the long term. I think that makes all kinds of sense. So it's like a shop until you find the right one for you type of situation between those two models of relationship. So it's kind of like leasing a car. <laughs> I guess. Until you find the one you want and you just buy it. Drive it like you rented it. <laughs> <laughs> so the next term uh, you might be familiar with by the inimitable Dan Savage. All praise Dan Savage. Dan Savage. Rawr. This is monogamish. So the relationship is primarily monogamous, but it makes exceptions for periods of non-exclusivity in the intimate realm, mm. right? So it's for like long-term couples who they love each other, they're committed to each other, but every now and then they need to mix it up a little bit with some play. It's like and a pressure release valve, huh? Absolutely. A pressure release valve. And it, it doesn't veer into the like the polyamory side necessarily because maintaining extra relationships is not necessary for the dynamic, for the structure. Ah. So speaking of polyamory, let's get into that part of the spectrum, right? You okay. know, so there's like the cold side of the spectrum, the warm side of the spectrum, the hot side of the spectrum, you know, and, and I guess we're uh, going into this new part of the spectrum, which is the poly side. Uh, instead of the mono side. And the first definition would be monopolyamorous. And this is not as common as the polyintimate kind of couples or the polyfidelity kind of couples. Monopolyamorous relationships are what's called an asymmetrical relationship, where one partner is polyamorous and the other partner is monogamous. Hmm. So well, that you, sounds kind of tricky. So you say you've got a husband and wife team or a husband and husband team or a wife and wife team, whatever. One of them gets to go out and play and do stuff. And the the other one chooses not to, but they have this agreement, okay. right? So that's a monopolyamorous relationship. So one partner is polyamorous. The other is monogamous. Person A has multiple partners. Person B chooses only person A as their partner. Is that clear? Yes. So asymmetrical relationships like these, they require kind of refined arrangements. You know, you got to really talk it out, get the nuances out in the open to ensure that the imbalance of privileges doesn't translate into an imbalance of relationship fulfillment. So even though both people have are working under a different set of rules for themselves, they're trying to maintain that relationship fulfillment together in one way or another. So this can be done in many other ways, in many ways, including balancing the sexual perks of one with increased non-sexual perks for the other. Say, for example, lots of trips to Hawaii or living in a big, beautiful house or some other thing, that kind of situation. Or even in the sexual world where much more attention is given to that one person than the other person would receive because the other person has other partners. Well, that makes sense. If they're getting their sexual needs fulfilled by many, then it means that they have more energy and focus ability for their primary partners sexual yeah. needs. I wonder if this is a good situation for somebody who is more on the asexual side of the spectrum. Well, yeah. And there are relationships that are more practiced by ace people. And that ace means asexual, by the way. There's asexual, there's aromantic folks. And this next one deals mostly with them, really. Right. So this is polyintimacy or ace polyamory. And again, ace stands for asexual. That's the A in the LGBTQ 
LGBTQIA+. Yeah, it's not allies. It's asexuals, okay? It's asexuals. (laughs) You don't get your own flag, allies. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Just shut up and carry the sandbags. So with this one, it's sexual exclusivity as a couple, but they practice emotional intimacy or even non-sexual romantic partnerships with others, and then these other relationships have similar importance. Now, it's most commonly practiced by asexuals and or aromantic persons who may employ this structure because it makes room for various emotional relationships without having to claim emotional exclusivity. Yeah, so, you know, they get to cuddle with a bunch of people without needing to feel the commitment of having sex with. Right. right? The the pressures of being in a one-on-one relationship or anything along those lines that maybe they don't feel that they are capable of fulfilling for another partner. Or it's just too much for them and it doesn't fulfill them. Hmm. That's an interesting one. As a highly sexual person, myself and you as well, I guess. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's difficult to consider that area of relationship structures because it's a paint color I don't paint with, you know, in my own life. But Mm -hmm. I'm glad that that kind of agreement exists for people for whom sexuality isn't like a priority at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's great. I can only imagine how isolated people have felt over, you know, centuries of kind of being held to a certain standard of sexuality and expression and just not having it within themselves. It's like having to do a task that your heart is not in it. It, It's really just more of a duty. Gross. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's not that's not intimacy or love. No, no. That's the last thousand years of Handmaid's Tale. Nope. What's the next one, Marco? So the next one is called polyfidelity. And this is actually a pretty common one in the poly community. More than two people are in an exclusive relationship altogether. So in polyfidelity, there can be many types within that definition. So you've got a triad, for example, and we've got friends who are in triads, right? That's where three persons are in a mutual agreement to be sexually and emotionally exclusive with each other. Right. So that's like a standard relationship, except for the number of people involved. It's three instead of two. Right. No big it, deal. It's like a standard thruple. It's a, right? Yeah, it's what you would call a thruple. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But it, it focuses on the exclusivity of it. Right. The other kind of polyfidelity is called a V. And that's a kind of thruple, though, in which one person is the center or the fulcrum of a triad relationship. So think of it as the bottom of the V. And the other two people are less involved with each other than they are with that person. So say, for example, a woman who has two husbands or two boyfriends, or a woman who has two wives or two girlfriends, and they, the two people that she is dating aren't really as sexually involved with each other as she is with both of them. They are all committed to each other, but they aren't as active with each other as they are with her. Okay. So she's, yeah, she's the fulcrum. She's the center point. Exactly. And that's why they call it a V relationship, right? So then there's quad relationships. Well, that's with four people. Sometimes it manifests as two connected, committed couples that end up becoming more of a foursome together. Hmm. Uh, And sometimes it's just all equal individuals, you know, that just kind of came together wanting to date each other. And they just ended up, boom, becoming one four-pronged unit. Hmm. Nice. Uh, there's quintuples, sextuples, you know, et cetera, you know, fill in the blank given the uh, the Roman numerology that we've got going on here. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> no matter how many members are in a polyfidelity unit, polyphi units are called polycules. Polycules. I know it's a really cute <laughs> word. <laughs> I call it, say, it, say it like Neil deGrasse Tyson would say molecules. Polycules. <laughs> Come with me. <laughs> Come with me. To a universe of polycules. 
the pollicular arrangement can be very intimate. So, yes, anyway. Hey, Neil, shout out if you ever get a hold of this podcast episode. I just want to I just want you to know how much I friggin love you. OK, we're big fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You are a polycule of one to me, sir. You are a monopolycule. Does that even work? I don't, think I don't know. Who anyway. knows? It could work. Let's Who not confuse our audience. Sorry, love bunnies. Um, so generally, polyamory, polysexuality, these uh, polyamorous couples, right? Polyfidelity is what it's called. Mm -hmm. well, generally, within these polycules, that's where the loving happens. They don't really open it up to other people. It is very much a traditional relationship except for the number of people in it. Right. So they choose to be committed to however many people are part of their polycule. Polycule. And then <laughs> it's just so cute. And then they keep it exclusive within those arrangements, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Hey, tell us about swingers. Swingers. So obviously swingers, everybody knows the term swingers, but to make it a little bit more well-defined, they are established couples who will engage in sexual activity with other people in varying types of arrangements, such as threesomes, couples having sex with one other person, swapping, where two couples engage in a balanced exchange of sex partners for a time, uh, and group play, right? So couples engage in situational sex in a group of persons, not just another couple. Hmm. But the focus is on the sexual experience, not necessarily on creating intimate connections or long-lasting relationships. Sounds like a crazy weekend in Vegas. Uh, yes, those, uh, those do happen. <laughs> it has been said. It has been said. <laughs> right. So, and typically, yeah, I mean, you can have like the the typical orgy scene or you can picture like the, the sex clubs where people just show up and they see someone that looks good enough to have sex with and they have sex with them. So basically the focus is on sexual experiences, not necessarily creating any kind of connection whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. Now, however... Sometimes an affinity group can evolve. So if it's people who find each other attractive and maybe they were friends before and they can enjoy sexy times together, well, sometimes they actually do evolve into one of those polycules. Yeah, I get that. You know, where people like have found each other randomly through the whole swinger thing and then they end up sort of creating almost a boyfriend girlfriendish kind of experience. Right. Yeah. You know, they have this from thing the people in that common. They yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like I an activity that. group. Totally like an activity group. <laughs> Like sailboarding together. Um, well, Is that a position? <laughs> uh, that's amazing. So uh, on the spectrum of these definitions, we take another turn and go into more like the solo side of things, uh, such as solo polyamory. Uh, a solo polyamorous person is an individual who considers themselves to be their own primary relationship partner. That person usually engages in casual relationships only because they prefer singlehood to like everything that comes in a relationship commitment. So they end up focusing on maintaining a healthy sense of individuality as a higher priority than like the demands of a committed relationship. Yeah, I've, uh, I've seen people talking about how they're in a relationship with themselves. And I think it's great if you have the capability of providing the vast majority of your emotional needs 
without the stress or complication of a relationship to each their own, right? Yeah, I am not such a romantic that I would say that everybody needs a relationship. Quite honestly, a lot of people, probably more than you would expect, are better off by themselves,、mm. especially in a serial kind of way. We all need time alone in order to work on ourselves, in order to perfect ourselves. Because even if a relationship is your goal, who you are is all you're bringing to the relationship. So time alone really helps with that. With a solo. Polyamorous person, however, that time alone is the end goal itself, not the relationship. Yeah, it's、so, fascinating. Yeah, no, it's natural for a lot of people. Not for most people, I think. I think most people are probably pretty geared toward pairing off. But not necessarily for others, right? Just like a lot of people are born explorers and adventurers, but most people are born settlers.、Mm -hmm. Right. So the next one that I was going to bring up is hierarchical polyamory. Where okay, so it's members of a polycule. Polycules. Polycules. <laughs>、oh, I love it.、Uh, they can choose to set themselves at different levels of the hierarchy, defining themselves in terms of how much time or power they can give to the relationship or to the other members in it. Sounds like there's a bit of a dom sub kind of element to it. Well, there certainly could be, and I think it also depends on. Well, it always depends on who's. Part of the arrangement. So a poly hierarchy exists when at least one person holds more power over a partner's other relationships than is held by the other people within those relationships. So person A is kind of the boss in that poly hierarchy. If person A can set the rules for person B's contact with person C. Yes. I see. Right. So think about it this way. Say you were person A. And I was person B, and we came into or we created a polycule. But you and I are like the dominant members, and you could say I would agree that you could have veto power over my interactions with other members on like a sexual level. Right, but it's still a committed relationship between you and that other person. I just get to set the rules. Right, you have the veto power. I mean, I'm sure it depends on again the situation. It could be like defining all of the rules, or it could be. Something as simple as, you know what? Not tonight. Let's you guys go ahead and have your fun time tomorrow night instead, sort of a thing. But the key elements of a poly hierarchy are authority, so the ability to make rules or place limits on what can happen in relationships that are not yours, and asymmetry, where your partner's other partners may not place the same restrictions on your relationship that you can place on theirs. So yeah, it can definitely have some of the the dom sub characteristics. Yeah, but it just depends on the persons involved. There's a lot of interesting power dynamics in there that I don't think that I'm particularly wired for. But that's probably why we're not in one of these. So I you know. would imagine so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> On the opposite end of that hierarchical scale is a non-hierarchical polyamorous relationship, and that's actually the most common form of the polyamorous relationship. Right. It's what they call a kitchen table polyamory because there's a lot of time spent like having like family meetings and stuff like that. So a, a, <laughs> a non-hierarchical polyamory is where all members of your polycule enjoy the same agency and power in making decisions. So it's more democratic, whereas the hierarchical 
table polyamory is more autocratic, I guess. Mm, right. The kitchen table polyamory, the non-hierarchical polyamory relationship, can be in the style of like a democratic group vote or separate conversations all the time coming to agreement. I'm guessing it's a lot of juggling and a lot of work. But obviously, for a lot of people, that is the natural way to go. So this is the most common form of polyamory and the one enjoying the most equality within the world of polycules. 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 Yeah, it does sound like it is a lot of conversations that have to happen on a consistent basis and constant juggling. And I have admiration for those who are able to do it well. Yeah, I can barely handle you. I know, right? I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so on the complete opposite end of it is relationship anarchy. Anarchy! <laughs> That was my anarcho-punk <laughs> so impression. Punk. That I'm so, so punk. punk. Oh my God. So relationship punk, right? So anarchos is Greek for not having a leader or a ruler. Relationship anarchists engage in many of these relationship structures that we talked about, but while focusing on individual freedom. Personal agency above all, huh? Personal agency above all. It's more about not being defined or put into a box of any particular kind, and so they can express themselves however it makes the most sense for them at any given time in their throughout their lives. So relationship anarchy isn't necessarily a structure itself, but it's more of a person's guiding attitude toward relationship structures? Yeah, trying to subvert the social code that places romantic relationships above individual agency and self-determination. Yeah, nobody can deny that there's a big social drive toward pairing off. For one thing, that's the way the economy works. Yes. You know, get your house, your picket fence, your 2.5s, you know, and all of that. Mm-hmm. And, and you get to have tax breaks and you all these things, you know, right. for being married. That's why so much of pop culture is geared toward pairing you off. All the love movies, all the love songs, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Where instead, maybe it works better for you to have freedom and fluidity with your personal expression. Yeah, it is interesting that there is such a thing as relationship anarchy. And it's a phrase that's actually come across my radar a handful of times recently. So I know that there's definitely some buzz in the meme world about relationship anarchy right now. Maybe you've heard about it too, dear listener. Let us know if you have. Yeah, we'd love to hear how many of you are engaging in alternative relationship structures yourselves, if you've done it in the past, and what sorts of structures worked for you and what didn't. We'd love to hear all of it. Yeah. So what are some of the relationship benefits of these alternative structures? Well, I'm glad you asked because you pulled up a bunch of research. That's what I do. (laughs) It is. It is what you do. You are amazing at that. We're going to leave a lot of links about this in the show notes, but we're we're citing a bunch of studies here, like some qualitative studies. They show that the majority of individuals engaged in consensual non-monogamy reported that their marriage improved, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of people think of this as like, oh no, it's going to wreck our relationship. But apparently the majority of individuals engaged in consensual non-monogamy did report that their marriages improved and that they felt an increased sense of warmth closeness and love toward their partner as a result of the consensual non-monogamy lifestyle they adopted. And moreover, individuals engaged in it reported less jealousy than those not engaged. 
in consensual non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. And they even often described feeling positive about their partner's other relationships. Yeah, instead buddy. Instead of jealous. So, compersion. Yeah, that's that word, compersion. Compersion. <laughs> We've used compersion in a sentence. <laughs> well, we win the spelling bee. <laughs> it's got to be way more complicated than that. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's really interesting because on a mainstream level, E&M or CNM relationships, ethically non-monogamous, consensually non-monogamous, they're not really understood and they're seen in a pretty negative light. However, many of the qualities enjoyed within those relationships are super duper similar to those of secure attachment relationships. Like what? Qualities such as deep commitment, a high level of satisfaction and trust, mm. heightened intimacy, yeah, mm-hmm, and a low level of jealousy, hmm. right? Compersion. So it's particularly fascinating because those insecure relationships are also <laughs> less likely to cheat and enjoy sex more with their partner. Woo! Yeah. The perks of security. Perks of security, man. It's so much better. So many studies point to this stuff, you know, like there's this study by Rubin and colleagues and Levine and colleagues. And again, notes in the show notes. Mm -hmm. They both found that four to five percent of the population of the United States was currently involved in a CNM relationship. And another study found that the same ratio applied to Canadians. And, you know, keep in mind, more people try CNM at one point in their lives than are currently in a CNM relationship at any time. So it's more than four or five percent of the people who have done it over the course of their love lives. Right. So if you're at a party with 20 friends, chances are at least one of them's definitely on the freaky side. Yeah. And if you're at a party with our friends, chances are one or two is not on the freaky side. So yeah, 4 to 5%. And so it sounds like a small number, 4 to 5%, but it is larger than the known bisexual, lesbian, and gay population combined. Wow. Right? So, and also this statistic, it is estimated that approximately 20 to 25% of men and 10 to 15% of women who had ever been married admit to having an affair at some point in those marriages. Jeez, 20 to 25% of men and 10 to 15% of women have had affairs. Admitted to having affairs. And Admitted. you define affairs as essentially non-consensual non-monogamy. Yeah. Non-ethical non-monogamy. Correct. So imagine if they had just had their priorities and their agreements in the right spot. If they had felt secure enough in their relationships that they could have those conversations and work to create a structure that worked better for them, they might still have those marriages and be happier than ever. Mm. Possibly. You know, this reminds me of a recent episode of Red Table Talk. You've oh, seen yeah. Red Table Talk, right? The Facebook talk show about like intimate and difficult topics yeah, like love, sex, drugs. Yeah, show, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That one. They had these guests, right? Uh, it was uh, actor Nico Tortorella and his spouse Bethany Meyer, uh, okay. who are sort of like these E&M models in the pop culture world right now. Okay. So anyway, speaking of cheating, actor Nico Tortorella said that, quote, every single person that cheats is probably a little poly. They just don't have the language for it, end quote. I don't know. Is that true? I I really don't like saying things in absolutes. I wouldn't say every single person who cheats on their partner is poly. I would say probably a large percentage 
probably are, but, you know, we've talked about this before, where some people just have this need to do something wrong. They just have this need to cheat. Right. So, you know, maybe it wasn't just the natural inclination toward having multiple sex partners that drove them to cheating. It was more of a compulsion to do harm. Or maybe they just have this desire to have something that they're not allowed to, and that if they okay. have a conversation and they are allowed to, then they, it lowers the enjoyment they get kind out of it. Kind of a it. natural line crosser response that yeah. instead of instead of a need to have other partners. And I definitely agree with Nico Tortorella that most people that cheat are probably needing that release valve and therefore just have the wrong agreements in their lives. Yeah, I fully agree with uh, but that. But yeah, no, I, I, I get you 100% that there are some people just made to be jerks, made to cross the line. And no matter what the agreement is, they're probably going to go against it. They need to find something to, yeah, be yeah. naughty about. Right. Yeah. But so that same episode, I came across it as well. His spouse, Bethany Meyer, she said, I think that jealousy is a really common emotion and not necessarily something we have to shy away from. What helps me is what am I actually afraid of? Right. I heard that, too, in that show. Right. What am I actually afraid of? That's a good thing to meditate on when you're feeling jealousy. Right. Obviously, jealousy is coming from insecurity. So instead of just repressing it and letting it come up in some really unhealthy form later on, she takes the opportunity to examine it, think about what she's truly afraid of. Like, is she afraid that her husband's going to love somebody more than her and leave her? Right. And where would that fear come from? You know, is it an ego-based insecurity or is it based in possible fact? These are all things that you should ask yourself when you are experiencing jealousy. Jealousy is like sweating. It's a, it's a red flag that you need to address something in your environment, but that something in your environment might just be your inner insecurities. Right. I mean, I know for a fact that most of the time when I have little jealous monsters pop up, it's, yeah, it's just by my own insecurities, my own fear that I'm not enough. Exactly. Exactly. Which and is dumb because, I mean, I'm awesome. Right. Right. You are. You are the most awesome, which is why I'm here. In that same episode, Nico Tortorella was talking about what their love is about and mm -hmm. why their openness and why they practice consensual non-monogamy and have an open relationship and all of this stuff. And he said, I love this quote, he said, our openness and our polyamory is really about emotional space and intimacy. Mm. And to me, that just sounds like a healthy foundation for any type of relationship setup. For them, it isn't about getting it on with as many people as possible, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, most of the time, she said that she has veto power and she says no. Mm. Uh, he ends up having a lot less uh, sexual options than she does over the long run. And she's the one that ends up having the more jealous moments that she then looks inward to try to solve. So it's all these things that are a bit counterintuitive to each other when you really look at them individually. But they have a balanced, happy relationship. I mean, they're trying for a kid. Uh, all of this kind of stuff. So I really enjoy that quote that their openness and their polyamory is really about emotional space and intimacy because to me that is what all relationships are about. They're about developing that. Yeah, it allows us to be more conscientious with ourselves to to dive deeper and explore who we are in relationship to the person we're in a relationship with and hopefully work to become the best versions of ourselves. And if we take advantage of these different kinds of opportunities, it just allows us to know ourselves better and forge an even deeper bond with our partners. Yeah. 
But hey, before we go, I really wanted to get back to this whole Will Smith, Jada Pinkett Smith story. I wanted to go back to the GQ article where all of this stuff first started coming out. Will Smith talks about uh, having a first meeting with Michaela Bohm, an intimacy coach that he spent years working with. And uh, Smith was confessing that if he could have anything in the world, which of course he's Will Smith, he can have anything in the world, right? right, right. But if he could have anything in the world, he would want a harem of girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I get it. I get it. We've all been 15, dude. Right. Um, <laughs> so this intimacy coach demanded who? Who would be in your harem? Insisting he named specific women that he would invite to his harem. And of course, he started going off on this like dream team of sexy ladies, right? Like Misty Copeland, Halle Berry. So for the rest of the session, the two of them started listing specific women who would round out his like harem dream team, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the plan was then to begin contacting these women. <laughs> That's what she was setting up for him to do. And uh, Will Smith is quoted as saying this. I don't know where I saw it or some shit as a teenager, but the idea of traveling with 20 women that I loved and took care of and all of that, it seemed like a really great idea, Smith said, right? <laughs> and then he laughed and then he was like, and then after we played it out a little bit, I was like, that would be horrific. That would just be horrific. I was like, can you imagine how miserable? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I could probably imagine that. So, yeah, because as a relatively cishet man, I can say that that's been a fantasy for most of us to have like this cadre of ladies and that... beautiful women who you are the epicenter of their love and I am the king. They are all my queens. It's a harem. Right. You know, all of that, uh -huh. right? But then reality. Reality. It's so much <laughs> juggling. <laughs> I think it's wonderful that she was like, she helped him workshop it, right? So and apply it to that everyday reality. Right. So instead of it just being the whole rose-colored fantasy and, oh, it's all going to be so amazing and beautiful and there's never going to be any problems to like really start working it out in like a real life situation. She diffused it by getting logistical <laughs> with it. It's perfect. It's really perfect. Right? Yeah. Uh, he, he goes on to say, and I quote, what she was doing was essentially cleaning out my mind, letting it know that it was okay to be me and be who I was. And it was okay to think Halle Berry is fine. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make me a bad person that I'm married and I think Halle Berry is beautiful. I mean, who doesn't? Right? Mm -hmm. So he goes on to say, whereas in my mind, in my Christian upbringing, even my thoughts were sins. So that was really the process that Michaela worked me through to let me realize that my thoughts were not sins and even acting on an impure thought doesn't make me a piece of shit. And that was really good. That's a great quote from Will. And kudos to Michaela for getting him to that point. Yeah, I, I have to say amen. Yahoo! Woo! No, it's, it's true. I mean, those of us who had a Christian upbringing and I'm sure other religions as well were taught that even having an impure thought, we are sinning against God. Yeah, that's some George Orwell shit. Right? And we can't control our thoughts all the time. <laughs> we can't control our thoughts the vast majority of the time. But just having those thoughts and even potentially looking to see where they lead doesn't make us terrible people. Our thoughts in the Buddhist sense of things are more like the river that we're swimming in. 
Mm. You know, and a lot of times we're trying to swim against the current or trying to get not tumbled by the rocks, all of that stuff. But instead, just let go of the thoughts. Don't identify yourself with the thoughts because the thoughts come and the thoughts go. Mm-hmm. You're not a sinner for thinking about sinning. Right. And that is, well, where me and the world's most popular religions probably differ. And it's the same thing with meditating. Where, sure, you can allow the thoughts to pass through your mind, but then let them move on. It's fine. It's the river I'm talking about. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. So Smith also appeared on that same Red Table Talk show. Right. This episode was where he had that chat with Jada that kind of blew up the internet about a period of non-monogamy that they had in their relationship. Hmm. And I love this quote. The pursuit of truth is the only way to be happy in this lifetime. And we sort of came to the agreement that authenticity was the release from the shackles of fame and public scrutiny. The article says, when you tell the truth, the pair reasoned, you never have to fear being found out. And it's so courageous. Just be truthful. Own your truth. It's uh, the ultimate vulnerability, putting yourself out there and just letting the cards fall where they may. Mm -hmm. I I like that, though. You know, what he said, we came to the agreement that authenticity was the release from the shackles of fame and public scrutiny. Mm -hmm. I would extend that to say that authenticity is a release from the shackles of everything. Gotta be authentic. Mm -hmm. It's just so self-affirming. Yeah. So Smith said in this episode about him and Jada, quote, we have given each other trust and freedom with the belief that everybody has to find their own way. And marriage for us can't be a prison. Mm. I love that. Mm -hmm. And I don't suggest our road for anybody. I don't suggest this road for anybody. But the experiences that the freedoms that we've given one another and the unconditional support to me is the highest definition of love. I love that quote. Highest definition of love, unconditional support, freedom. Marriage can't be a prison. Secure attachment much? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Talk about security. Talk about being brave enough to live your truth. And living with faith. Yeah. You know, you have faith in your partner. You have faith in yourselves. Yes. Instead of faith in some antiquated system that may or may not be a fit for everyone. Right. And yet so many people were forced into it. And up until recently, there have been no options. Right. I mean, and even Jada Pinkett Smith said that marriage became a golden prison for her. Right. That's not marriage in my eyes. At least not a not a modern, happy, healthy, loving marriage. Yeah, no. And that's where we're at right now is we have other models that we can employ in order to create a happy marriage. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to, we don't have to bend ourselves and break ourselves to fit the old box. Right. We can find a box with more than four sides. We can find a box with five sides or eight sides or a box that has an in and out hole or whatever. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) Glory hole. (laughs) No, but it's true. We can build our own boxes. And I think it's important for us to deconstruct what we think a relationship needs to be or has to be and really explore different dynamics that could work with the person or persons we choose to share our lives with. Yeah. And how fortunate are we to live in this modern era where we have these choices that we can make. Oh, They're even amazing. listed on the internet to organize our love relationships with the highest possible integrity to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Not to somebody else's expectations of you, but to ourselves. 
Mm -hmm. We're super blessed. And I think it behooves all of us to really appreciate the evolution that is part of our current world and work to make the most of it for ourselves. Yes. And so to all of our dear love bunnies out there, whether you consider yourself naturally monogamous, naturally polyamorous, naturally asexual, naturally, you know, a chicken, it it really, it's... (laughs) No judgment. (laughs) Naturally, whatever you wish to define yourself as, it is okay so long as you're living within the integrity of your own self Mm -hmm. and creating space in your relationship world for that. Mm -hmm. So you figure out what works best for your soul, for your heart, for your mind. Mm -hmm. You figure out what works best for the people involved in your heart and you mold it to that. Mm -hmm. You don't mold your heart to an external definition. 100%. Wow. Mm. Seriously, wow. I mean, we talked about deliberate monogamy, serial monogamy, monogamish relationships, open relationships, monopolyamorous relationships, polyintimate asexual polyamorous relationships, polyfidelity, sasasa swingers, solo polyamory, hierarchical and non-hierarchical polyamory, relationship anarchy, the potential beneficial effects of alternative relationship structures on your love life, Hollywood stars, Facebook talk shows. We sure covered a lot of ground today. I hope you guys were all taking notes. (laughs) If you are interested in learning more about any of these relationship structures, definitely check out the links we post in the episode notes on our site. Yeah, and you can even start a conversation with us on the socials. We are happy to continue this discussion. I love it. I think that's it for our show today. What do you think, Marco? That's all I got. All right. I ain't got no more. (laughs) I'm spent. (laughs) The the truck comes back next week. Try on Tuesday. Right. We'll see you next Tuesday. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can reach out to us on the Facebook, facebook.com slash how to love forever and Instagram at how to numeral two love forever. Yeah. And if you are so full of love, you just can't stop. We would love for you to join our community on Patreon. We have a whole range of relationship levels you can choose from. And the more committed you become, the more we'll be able to share with you. We're developing a bunch of perks even as we speak. Mm-hmm. It's going to be lovely. Now, join us next week for a bit of a crazy episode. Woo, crazy. <laughs> Seriously, we went out on Las Vegas Boulevard to talk <laughs> with random strangers about sex and love (laughs) it's gonna be super fun and we look forward to sharing it with you oh man you have no idea some of the weird shit people said (laughs) and some of the deep stuff too yeah it's really beautiful it's kind of a bit of both and i think that you're all going to really enjoy next week's episode it's going to be a nice breath of fresh air from all the deep thinky stuff that we've been engaging in for the first few episodes this one's going to be more like popcorn paper airplanes (laughs) some serious silliness right in the middle of our season yeah so until then love bunnies remember love deep love hard love love forever forever. and love your polycules Polycules. (laughs) (laughs) gotta love the polycules polycules, baby it's got polycules i got mono dipolicular love for you i don't know what that is i don't either (laughs) but it's just gonna be a fun little outro that just fades away (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.